If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. We've been in this series for quite some time. And um, how many of you guys enjoyed the olive appetizers today? Anybody? I'm not an olive person, but I noticed some people's breath in here was a little bit stronger. I'm just kidding. No, so, uh, so, so that makes sense when we read the scripture today. We, we were in chapter 9, which talked about Israel's past. We were in chapters 10, which talked about Israel's present. And chapter 11 talks about Israel's future. And so we're going to dive in a little bit more today to Israel's future and what that means for us and what that means for them and uh, how it all ties together today uh, in this passage. We're actually going to read uh, a lot this week and uh, we're going to try to cover a lot, a little ambitious, so keep your Bibles open as we move through this. Um, there's going to be some, a lot of different scripture that we want to look at. So chapter 11, let's start in verse 11. So he says this, so I asked, did they stumble? Talking about the nation of Israel, the Jewish uh, nation. Did they stumble in order that they might fall? And he says, by no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. So as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? So, what he's, what he's asking here is what he kind of left off. Remember we talked about Elijah last week and how Elijah felt like he was the only one and, 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 and God said, no, there's a remnant. There are other people uh, who uh, haven't bowed down to the idol. There are others. And so he's talking about the remnant here and he's, he's, he's saying they've stumbled, they rejected the Messiah. Does that mean, does that, mean that they're done with? They, they, they're, they're all fallen, they're all you know, over and all of God's promises are over. And he says, absolutely not. Of course not. He says, this is the point. Why, why did that hardening, we talked about God hardening uh, the nation of Israel, and that's kind of a challenging thing. When we read a little bit further, we're going to see that in verse 25 that it's a partial hardening. So not all of the Jewish uh, people rejected Jesus. There were some that accepted him, uh, but many and most did. They rejected the Messiah, rejected Jesus. And he says that's a partial uh, hardening of, of, of their hearts. And so why would he do that? Why is God hardening? And, and, and that's hard for us to, to kind of put into our brains. But he says very clearly here in verse 11 that the first reason is so that Gentiles would be included, that Gentiles would be saved. And by the way, uh, if you're not a, a Jew today, you're, you're Gentile. So, so that is good news for you. It's good news for me. And so the fact that Israel said, you know what, we reject Jesus, we reject the Messiah, God says, okay, here's, here's my plan. My plan is, yes, you're going to reject, and I'm going to use those who do believe to carry that message to the Gentiles. And so the gospel is spread because they Rejected. Here's what it says in Acts 13, 46. It says, Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, speaking to uh, Jewish people at this time. He says, We speak the word of God to you first. But since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to Gentiles. This is what the Lord has commanded us. I've, I've made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So here it is. Messiah was here, Jesus was here, Israel said no, rejected Jesus, and so God used that rejection, and now he is using it to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. The second thing that, that this, 
does for uh, us and for the world is it says here in verse 11 that it's going to make Israel jealous. So he says it here in this verse, a little bit later in verse 14, he's going to mention it. He's going to mention it again later that somehow, you know, the fact that God says, okay, here's your Messiah, they say no. And then he says, okay, I'm going to take it to the Gentiles and the Gentiles receive it. That somehow God in his sovereignty is using all of these circumstances and the nation of Israel, are, they're going to see this and it's going to lead them to be envious and jealous, which in turn is going to bring them, we're going to see, back to a stance where they accept Jesus. And so all this is, is going to make sense for us, so hang with me. Let's keep reading. Verse 13. Now I am speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. So again, it's this, you know, it's this idea of making them jealous because of their, you know, it's like the Gentiles are included to the promises of God now. And, and, and the reason that works is he says, look, it's going to save some of them. In verse 15, for if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? So what he's saying here is, okay, their rejection meant that the reconciliation of the world is now possible. God's plan, as they rejected, is now to take it to the Gentiles. So their rejection led to a good thing for us, a reconciliation. But here's the other thing that it leads to and will lead uh, to for them. What will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? So what he's alluding to here, life from the dead He's speaking to, and we're going to see a little bit more clearly as we continue to read, he's, he's mentioning and forecasting the second coming of Christ. That as the second coming of Christ comes, there's going to be a large number of, of Jews who will receive Jesus, who will accept Jesus and turn to faith in him. And so he says when they do accept this, it's going to mean life from the dead. In other words, the resurrection of the dead will be taking place when this large number of Jews come back to Jesus, receive him as Lord and Savior. The second coming of Christ is near when that happens. Let's continue. He says, For if the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. He's talking about a passage in the Old Testament in the book of Numbers. When they made a batch of dough, they would take 10% of it. It was their tenth. They would offer it to God as a sacrifice. And, and, the, and, the, and the scripture says that when they, when they did that, it made the whole lump of dough, dough holy. And so in the same way, he's, he says that the, the uh, root makes the whole tree holy. He continues with this illustration, verse 17. But if some of the branches were broken off in you, although a wild olive shoot. So, so, so here he's talking about the branches uh, currently were the nation of Israel. And you and I, as Gentiles, were the wild olive shoot. He says, although a wild olive shoot, you were grafted in among the others and now share and the nourishing root of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith, so do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. 
Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Now, I can tell some of you are like, huh? (laughs) Say what? You know, what's he talking about? Well, let's, let's explain it. Uh, we're not really a, a farming culture. There's probably some of you guys that grow, you know, maybe small farms or maybe small gardens and that kind of thing. Uh, but back in the day, the, the olive tree was huge for this culture. Uh, in fact, the Old Testament actually says in Jeremiah, it, it says that the olive tree is really the symbol for the nation of Israel. And so that's alluded to in Scripture uh, from time to time, the nation of Israel being the olive tree. So what he's talking about here as he's grafting in the wild olive shoot is this. So if you're talking about farming, so let's just kind of shift gears and let's just, just, just farming talk right now, okay? So, so this is what they would do if a tree was not producing enough fruit, uh, had good strong roots, but the tree branches weren't producing a lot of olives. They would look at another tree that was producing a lot of fruit, and they would cut off a sapling, a, a young branch off of that tree. They would go to the tree that's not producing fruit, and they would cut down all the branches until all that was left was the stump. Um, they would also do this if the, maybe the, the tree had some kind of disease or whatever. They would cut off all the branches, get the sapling from another healthy tree, and they would graft it into this stump. And so what grafting is, is and they still do this today, and some of you might even do this in your gardens, but they would take a knife and they would cut back the bark of the branch, and then they would take this sapling about, you know, about a foot, foot and a half long, and then they would, they would whittle off the end so that they would get off all the bark on that. And then they would take that branch and then they would stick it underneath the bark and then they would tie it to the stump and they would do three or four on, the, on a stump. And over time, that, that, that rope would protect it and keep it together. And over time, that tree and that branch would merge together and it would grow together and it would become one tree and uh, it would be a a fruit-bearing tree as if it was always part of that tree. We've actually got a picture. Can you guys show that picture? This This is like a, you can see where the stump was cut and then... Uh, when these branches were young, they were you know, thin and small, just like little branches, and then tied into that, and now it is, it is one tree uh, together. That's kind of what it looks like. And so what he's alluding to here, and this is the illustration that the nation of Israel, you can take that down. So the nation of Israel, they are the branches connected to the root, which is God. So God is the root. Later, Jesus is called the root of Jesse. So, so we would see that root as Jesus. And, and so the nation of Israel is attached. The nation of Israel rejects Jesus. Not all of them, but there's been a partial hardening. So not all of them, many of them. Remember Paul? He says, he, we're not completely cut off, man. I'm a Jew. Uh, and there's a lot of others that do embrace and receive Jesus. But for the most part, many reject. So God cuts the branches off. And he grafts the wild olive shoot, you and I, into his promises, into the family of God. Remember last last week, he talked about an Old Testament passage that said we were not a people, book of Hosea, and now we are a people. He said that we weren't looking for God. We were not like searching for, you know, faith. We weren't searching for, you know, God in our life. He came and he found us through the gospel. 
and he has grafted us in. Now we are a part of the family. We are a part of the promises. We are a part of the family of God. And then he says, look, look this is it's not over for the nation of Israel because they can be grafted in as well. And how they do that is the same way that you and I do that, by receiving Jesus into our life. So a good and powerful illustration uh, for us to remember and for us to think through. So let's continue. Verse 25. He says, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of Gentiles has come in. So again, he's, he's, he's alluding to the future. He's alluding to uh, the prophecy of the return of of Jesus here. So this is a very a, a very real and important picture for us to grasp even today. He said we've been grafted in. Don't let that lead you to pride. Don't you know, don't be arrogant or prideful about that. Be humble that God has has given us this opportunity to receive him and be grafted into his promise. And then he says, here's the deal. This is a partial hardening and it's going to last until the full number of Gentiles comes in. So what he's saying here is that God knows how many of us and how many people in the future are going to receive him as Lord and Savior. So the, the whole end of time, the return of Jesus, is really depending on that. So when is that time? When does Jesus return? It will happen after the full number of Gentiles comes in. We don't know the day. We don't know the hour. We can watch the signs. We can see what's happening in the world we can keep a close look on the nation of Israel today and begin to you know, match that up with Scripture, begin to see that, in my opinion, it, it you know, doesn't, doesn't seem like it's very far off. It doesn't seem like uh, much more has to happen in order for the return of Jesus to take place. So, so there are some things, but not a lot of things. You just look at the world and see everything that's happening, and um, you see some of the things that are happening in Israel today, and uh, some very real and powerful uh, evidences are, are there for us to realize. So he says, A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, he quotes Isaiah quotes a passage in Psalm here, and he says, The deliverer will come from Zion, Jesus. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So this was, this was preached in the Old Testament, and he's saying this is Old Testament stuff, but it's not been fulfilled yet. Israel's sins have, have not been wiped away yet. Israel has not come into the gospel yet. Some have. Some here actually are Jewish, and, and they are believers. We have a few people here, actually. Verse 28, he says, As regards to the gospel, they are enemies of God for your sake. But as regards to election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. So again, the doctrine of election being taught and showed to us here. He says, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. In other words, you can't recall those. You can't annul those. You can't, like, wipe those out. When God makes a promise... He's going to fulfill that promise, and his promise in the Old Testament is that Israel will be saved. Israel will be restored. He says, for the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. 
So this is purpose upon purpose. And God's hardening and, and, and their, their desire to reject Jesus is all happening at the same time. And that sometimes for us, how, why, how does God use sin? How does God use this? It's is hard sometimes for us to grasp. A couple examples to re- recall and remember. The story of Joseph. He's beat up, left for dead by his brothers. Uh, he ends up going to Egypt, spending time <clears throat> in prison uh, for things that he did not actually commit. And then later, famine comes. His brothers come back uh, to Egypt because they need food. And uh, long, awesome story. And in the end of the story, the Bible says, Joseph looks at his brothers and says, what you intended for evil, God used for good. So we see that through sin, God uses to bless and to bring about good. Even the very crucifixion of Jesus teaches us that. That through sin, that through evil, Jesus is crucified. Jesus is murdered on a cross. And yet God is using that for our good and for his glory. And so is this. This is sometimes, you know, we don't think through this sometimes. But our relationship with the nation of Israel and and, and all of the promises and prophecy of Old Testament are all connected They're all interlinked here because there will be a day when a large number of Jews receive Jesus. And then the end is near. And he says, it's God's mercy. It's God's mercy led them away in order to bring Gentiles in. It's God's mercy that's going to use this Gentile coming in to use for Israel to come back into family of God and receive the blessings of God, receive the salvation of God. Um, turn, let's flip back now. We're going to read a passage in Ezekiel uh, chapter 37. And the reason why we want to go here and in here today is because what Isaiah prophesied, I'm sorry, Ezekiel prophesies in chapter 37, and you've probably heard about the valley of the dry bones, is exactly what Paul alludes to. Life from dead, the resurrection from the dead, when all of Israel is saved, when, when this, this large group of uh, Israel is saved, Ezekiel is hundreds and hundreds of years ago prophesying that this will happen. And some people might read this and say, well, it already happened, you know, in the 40s when, nation, when Israel uh, became a nation again. But, but the fact is, it has not happened. And I want to show you why. And I want to show you how it relates to us today. Here we go. Verse 1, 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, and he sent me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around and among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So just just picture this. In a, in a Sahara-type environment and climate, He rolls up into this this valley and all he sees are dry bones. All of these dry bones laying all over the place. And and here here God is leading him to this place. And and God asks him a question. Can all of these dry bones, can, can they live again? And I love his response. He says this, look at it. Can these bones live? And he answered, oh Lord, God, 
you know. <laughs> it's like, uh, this is a trick question. <laughs> you know, God. <laughs> it's like, you could use that on your small group leader, by the way. If they ask you a tough question, it's like, oh, man, that's, I don't know. You know, man, you know. And just kind of play it off there if it's like a personal question. But the, I, I love that response. But, but God knows. And he goes, then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live and I will lay sinews or, or basically tendons upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So he, so he says, I'm, I'm going I'm to put all of this back together. I'm going to put tendons and I'm going to put muscle and I'm going to put you know, eyeballs and the, the shoulder bones going you know, to connect to the neck bone and the neck bones connected to the whatever, I don't know that song. But he's going he's gonna to put it all together and he's going to make them come alive. And it says that I'm going to cause breath to enter them. Now, the Hebrew word there is ruah. It's the breath of God, the spirit of God. In the New Testament, it's the pneuma or the spirit of God. And he says, I'm going to put that in you and I'm going to make you come alive. And you're going to know the Lord. Verse 7. So Ezekiel says, I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound. And behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. Now, I read this, and I love watching movies, and all I can kind of think about is Parrots of the Caribbean. You remember the kind of the skeleton kind of view of this, and it's like, you know, like some rattling going on. Some, some, some bones are rattling and kind of shaking and kind of, kind of, I don't know if I wanted to be there right now, you know, because <laughs> it's kind of freaking me out, you know, to see all these bones and all these things coming together. And, and uh, you know, you get the hand bone rattling and all the fingers kind of coming together. And, and uh, all of this is making noise and sounds, and he's, he's viewing all of this right before his eyes he says, and I looked, and behold, there were tendons on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Let's just think for a second. They've got skin. They've got bone. They've got tendons. They've got feet. They've got everything on the outside that looks like they've got it all together, and yet they don't have the breath of God in them. So they're not alive yet. They're not alive yet. Let me just pause here for a second and just kind of apply this. You see, some of us walk into this room maybe week after week. You've got the appearance all down. you got skin and it's tan. <laughs> you know, it's still August. You've got, you've got the nice clothes you're kind of put together. you got your hair did, you know. Everything looks normal. But there's no breath inside. Something's missing. Something's missing in your life because the, the Spirit of God is, is not yet within you. You know something's not quite right. You know the church game. You know the church tradition. Maybe you've been in and out of church your whole life. And so coming to church is, is natural for you. But at the end of the day, you're still just bone and flesh and, and, and tendons because the Spirit of God really isn't inside of you. Because if it was, you'd be experiencing life. But right now, 
there are some dead, pretty much everything is dead in your life. Relationships, your attitude, your career, everything's in shambles. And you're just like, man, I just feel dead. But on the outside, you feel like you are showing that everything is together. Verse 9, then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, Come from the far winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So this is what we're talking about. We're talking about life. What Jesus called life to the fullest or the abundant life only lived when the Spirit of God is within you. Verse 10, so I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath came into them and they lived and look at what they did. They stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. Let's just pause here. Some of you guys have kids, and one of, the, one of the coolest parts about being a parent is watching kids learn how to do stuff. And one of the biggest moments in, in a kid's life is when they learn how to stand up and then when they learn how to, how to walk. Remember that? I've got on my phone right now, I could show everybody. Um, I will before you leave if you want me to because I love it. It's, it's my youngest daughter. It, you know, iPhones were invented when she was born and video. Before that, they weren't. So it's a little bit harder. But on my phone, her first steps. It, it was so cute and so awesome. But you remember, before then, they're just kind of, you know, motoring around on their knees and on their hands and bumping into things and, you know, slobbering and putting everything into their mouth. And it's like they're just little babies. And, and they're, just, they're just little babies. And then one day, they decide that they're going to stand up. You know, and it's like when they stand up, they're using the, the couch and they're still wobbly and they're like, whoa, you know, and then boom, they'll fall. And then they'll get a little bit more, you know, energy and they'll get a little bit more confident and they'll, they'll kind of do this deal. And if you've got kind of a walker or something, maybe they just start to move their feet and, and eventually they'll let go of the couch or the whatever and, and, and they'll move. And it's like, oh, you know, I got it. You know, and what are you doing? They're, you're freaking out, man. You're, woo, you're clapping, or, or maybe you're silent because you don't want to mess with it yet. You're just like, shh, don't move. You know, just watch. I remember videoing these first steps of my daughter, and she was walking in the kitchen, and she took like six or seven steps, and we were just like, yeah. And we were, you know, all the, you know, uh, her brother and her two sisters were all cheering, and, and it was just an awesome experience. And, and from that moment on, when they learn to walk, everything is different, isn't it? It's like, I'm no longer a baby, dude. I'm a grown person. You know, you got to respect this and you got, you know, no. You know, it's like they start walking and they learn how to say no. It's like, where does that come from? It's like, yeah, I don't even know if you could speak and now you're walking and telling me no. So... So when they stand up and they walk, they're, they're a new person, aren't they? And so, so I, I, I love that, uh, that journey with, with our, our kids. And, and so to, here, here's my connection with that. You see, when the life breath spirit of God enters into these dry dead bones they get up and they stand and they stand not just to say look at me man I'm standing they stand and the Bible calls them a vast army so this vast army is made up of warriors and 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 they are you know ready for battle And they are standing to their feet, ready for battle as a warrior. And I'm telling you today, some of you walk in and you are dead. 
You're still crawling around like a spiritual baby in your life, bumping your head on this and bumping your head and drooling on this. And it's like the Spirit of God is not yet in you. And when we accept Christ into our life and we receive him, the Spirit of God enters us and it's like now I can stand. And now I'm a warrior. Now I'm in the army of God. And I so want this church and you to experience that. Because watching, you walk in defeated. And you can just see it on people's face and you can see it in their life that Man, they, they look like they're put together. They got tendons and they got skin and they got, they got muscle and they, they, they have the whole appearance thing down. But at the end of the day, their marriage is dead. Their life is dead. There's no breath. There's no spirit. And the spirit of God is within us. We stand to our feet and we have and become a great army together. You know, we're just going to teach the Bible to the best that we can here. And, and we're just going to be honest with people. And so, to the best of my ability. And so, men, if you are not leading spiritually in your home, you are not standing, and you are not a vast army. And so, what we want to challenge you to do is, bro, you can do this, but you got to get up. you got to be real. you got to stop playing the game of I got to make and provide and all this kind of chump stuff and you got to get serious about who God is because I'm telling you and I'm, I'm, I'm as, as, as sincere as I can be I don't know when Jesus is coming again but it's not very long we may see it in our lifetime we may not all I know is he's coming and when he comes he is not coming back to pat everybody on the back and say good try He's going to be riding a white horse, firing his eyes, and a big sword sticking out of his hand. I mean, this is a different time in the life of the world. And so we've got to be ready. And I don't want anybody walking around, creaking, stumbling, crawling around in our church. I want you to hear me, and I want you to know that you can stand. You can receive Jesus. You can receive the Spirit of of Christ in your life now, today. It will change your life forever. Let's continue. Verse 11. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. So here's the connection. Here's what he's saying. This, this is Israel. This is what I'm talking about here. They're, they're dead, but, but they're going to come back together, and I'm going to put my spirit within them. He says, behold, they say our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost, and we are indeed cut off. <laughs> What's Paul been talking about in Romans 11? Are they cut off? He says, absolutely not. By no means they're not cut off. There's been a partial hardening, so all this stuff can happen, but they're going to get jealous, and God's going to use this, and he's going to bring them back, and the nation of Israel will come to know Jesus. Thousands of them will receive him. And he says, our hope is lost. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. So the prophecy is that you're going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the dry bones. I'm going to make you, put you back together. My spirit's going to come into your life. You're going to receive the gospel. You're going to receive the blessing of God. So here's what we do with this. My challenge for you today is to talk about this with your family. Talk about this in your small group. Talk to your kids about this and ask this one question. 
Are you really alive? Do you feel like you're really alive? And so we're, we're not just saying, you know, well, yeah, I mean, I'm, yeah, I've got a pulse and, you know, my heart's beating and I think I'm still alive. No, I'm talking about, is your marriage really alive? What a great conversation for you to have with your spouse today. Are, are we really alive? Are we experiencing real life? Is, is, is our career, is it really alive or, or what are we doing here? Is this really what God wants us to do? Are we alive as parents or are we just, just kind of, you know, doing everybody else does in our culture and, and run to every practice we can and, and just put everything else a priority and then we just kind of throw church together when we have time and throw Jesus together when we have time for him? Or, or are we really alive and are we really experiencing him in our life? I mean, that's a great question. Are you really alive? Here's the other question. Do you walk in here today and say, Valley of the Dry Bones is me. My life is dried up. I, I don't have Christ. I don't, I don't know who I am in Christ. I, 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 I don't have the Spirit of God within me. And if I were honest with you today, Trent, I, I, I know that to be true. That's not me. And for you, the, the challenge and the invitation is, man, it's time to accept him and move forward and stand up. Become a part of that vast army together. I'm going to pray in just a minute. And as I pray, I'm going to give you an opportunity to stand up and make that decision for Christ today. As I pray, our counselors are going to be in, in this area to your right, to my left. And um, the band is going to come and close us in a song to help us reflect on what we've just talked about and what we've just seen in Scripture. And as they do so... You know, I, I encourage you to at any time to go and to speak to one of our counselors. And as you leave today, our counselors will be here close to the stage. They would love to continue that conversation to pray with you and to encourage you and whatever you're dealing with today. Would you bow your heads?